We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to the Core here on American Family Radio Network. Good to be with you today on the program. It's our Monday edition of the Core. Busy week uh, we're going to have, as we do most weeks. You know, I'm not sure there's such thing as a slow news cycle anymore. And uh, partly because of the quickly, uh, the quick fashion in which information is now available with the World Wide Web and all these various social applications. Um, there's not uh, really such thing as a slow news day anymore. I guess technically there probably is, but always something to talk about. That's what we're going to do here on the core. I do want to turn our attention to the scripture. We're in Psalm chapter 55 this week. David says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So David appeals to the Lord, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. And then David goes on to expound on why he's in a desperate situation, in a desperate circumstance, and why he's appealing to the Lord to answer and give ear to his prayer. So that should really be the, the appeal of us of, of each of us is to petition the Lord to give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. That's Psalm chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. Well, moving into a couple things I want to make sure we get to, we do have um, the video available for you, streaming.afa.net. We're live streaming the video as we speak over at our streaming platform, our video platform, streaming.afa.net. You can go there and watch the core right now as we speak, watch it live, and watch past episodes. The uh, live audio is also available on AFR.net, on the American Family Radio app, and wherever you subscribe to podcasts. So a an abundance of opportunity for you to listen to At the Core here on American Family Radio. Um, let's see. Uh, we will have some special guests uh, today as well. We'll have Patty Garibay, founder and director of American Heritage Girls, AHG, frequent guest of The Core. We'll have uh, Patty on with us in the next segment. And then the last segment, we'll have uh, Dr. Charles Blahas, and uh, he's a senior research strategist over at a uh, the center on um, the Mark Mark Marcatus Center at George Mason U- University. There, I had a a brief uh, delay here pulling that up, but he's the um, Senior Research Strategist at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. So nonetheless, we'll have Charles on 
uh, to talk about Medicaid expansion and uh, the ins and outs of that, whether that's good, whether that's bad, because we see government expanding more and more. And in a topic of discussion today and what uh, the federal government is attempting to do is expand Medicaid. And so we've got to talk through that, think through that, and look at the pros and the cons. More government, folks, most all the time is not a good thing. But that's uh, that's our instinct reaction. That's our gut reaction, if you will. But we'll talk to Dr. Charles Lahas about um, the uh, Medicaid expansion that was put forth through Obamacare and uh, why that's not good for our nation and for uh, um, the welfare state of America. Uh, I want to I jump to what went down last week. The, the Freedom Caucus, 20-so-odd um, uh, members, they had a, a, a pounding last week of pressure uh, from media outlets and even conservative talk show hosts, etc., uh, over the negotiations that were taking place in Congress. So the, uh, the these 20 or so um, congressmen were, were negotiating with Kevin McCarthy and his crew to make sure that various conservative reforms, wise reforms, were made in Congress before they voted for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. All right, so this is strictly a negotiation. happens all the time. And the Freedom Caucus and the other congressmen that were petitioning for these reforms, uh, they were just roundly rebuked, roundly criticized by well-known, well-respected conservative activists such as Sean Hannity, Newt Gingrich, Mark Levin, um, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Donald Trump went after him. And so there was this there was this loud call for the twenty or so odd congressmen to just hang it up, not fight, don't try to negotiate, just vote for Kevin McCarthy, sit down, and be quiet. That was pretty much the narrative from these people like Newt Gingrich and Mark Levin that have made a career on and, and created a legacy of fighting for our nation and fighting for freedom and fighting for America's constitutional uh, republic. And we had people actually stand up and fight last week, and then we all told them, to, <laughs> many of us told them to sit down and be quiet. And so that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and I don't like, I think it's very disingenuous for for political commentators, political activists, conservative activists, to day in and day out say that Washington needs to change, we've got to drain the swamp, we've got to restore America to her founding ideals, we've got to restore a limited government, we've got to balance the budget, we've got to reduce the deficit, we need a strong national defense. We need we need Congress functioning again. I think it's very disingenuous to say all those things, and then when it actually come time comes time to fight, we tuck our tail and we run. 
I mean, I would rather you be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I have more respect for that than I do people who claim that they're ready to fight, they're willing to fight, and we need a fight. And then when we get ready to fight, they all leave and they all give up. And not only do they all leave and they all give up, but as a matter of fact, they critique the ones who stayed to fight. I mean, it's the most fake, disingenuous move that you could make. And that's what we saw last week. That's what we saw last week uh, when uh, these 20 congressmen were fighting for good reforms in Congress. And you say, well, what are the good reforms? I've actually got the list here, and we're going to go over them before the end of the segment. Uh, But before we do, one of the main reforms is the budget process. And so we're going to play, this is uh, uh, a a, um, popular uh, congressman for the show, and that's Representative Chip Roy. He's always saying the right things. Good for him. Um, let's listen to Representative Roy on Jake Tapper's show talking about one of the primary things we got to do, and one things that one of the things that that we're setting ourselves up to be able to do is to stop printing money we don't have. Clip three. Let's listen. The fastest way to guarantee that we have debt rating problems is to keep spending money we don't have and keep piling up debt, and that's what we're doing. The Uniparty in Washington. Republicans and Democrats, the power brokers, which, by the way, were reflected by Mike Rogers when he goes in and he's pushing back on the. the he says, rebels. I will finish you. Right. So why is that? Because when you push back on the swamp, the swamp's going to push right back. We saw that in display. That's OK. So you say, well, are we going to have this kind of uh, conflict going forward? I hope so. But we started this now. It's January. So the debt ceiling or the debate is going to be in a few months. Let's do it now, guys. Right. Let's get this out there. Both sides of the aisle. Everybody within each party, let's figure out how we're going to actually fix this because the American people are sick of us not doing our job. There you have it. <laughs> Chip Roy is saying, look, look, we we know that this this fight is coming, just like the speakership fight. We know this fight's coming, so let's start talking about it now. Let's don't wait until the last minute and act like the house is on fire. But this is what they do. It's the most... Uh, most unorganized, chaotic form of operations I've ever seen in my life. I mean, churches, children's programs operate more efficiently and with more planning and strategic thought than Congress does. I mean, this is absolutely insane. I mean, I, my household, we 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 actually do more planning on what we're going to eat for the week and for the month than Congress does on how they're going to budget $1.7 trillion. So to Representative Roy's point, look, we know the budget discussion is going to come up in the next several months, so let's start talking about it now. Let's start planning in advance. Um, As far as the concessions that Kevin McCarthy made in order to get the vote of the Freedom Caucus members, let's go through that. All right, let's go through that. Because had it not been for the Freedom Caucus and the fighters in Congress that we saw last week, None of these reforms or many of these reforms would have not taken place. So going through these uh, reforms, the first one that I want to point out is that Freedom Caucus members will actually get representation on the Rules Committee. And the Rules Committee is important, folks, because that's what governs how Congress functions. The rules do. The rules of Congress. The rules of the House of Representatives. And um, 
Uh, previously, this rules committee has operated mostly kind of behind se- behind the scenes, behind closed doors. Nobody really knows what's going on as far as the public goes. And they'll they'll typically tweak the rules to to fit the needs of the establishment and leadership, such as instead of needing seventy two hours to read a bill before you need before you can vote on it, they'll change the rule at the last minute to make it to where only twenty four hours have to pass before you vote on a bill. So so the rules committee is the one that really basically changes the rules as needed. And and oftentimes, many times, probably the vast majority of the time, the rule changes are bad for our country. They're bad for process. They're bad for Congress, and they don't need to take place. So more conservatives are going to be on that rules committee. So they'll be in the meetings. They'll they'll be able to tell us what's going on in there, and what's best for our country. Um, the uh, uh, Freedom Caucus put some steps in place for um, the debt limit. And uh, it ensures a separate vote takes place on the debt limit. Um, and so that's that's another thing. Um, spending reduction. Uh, two other budgetary measures in the draft rules package involve restoring a point of order against a net increase in budget authority for amendments to general appropriations bills. And um, basically this prevents um, these, these endless budget increases without accountability. Um, so that's that's another thing. Uh, so I've got this article um, from Epoch Times that uh, we're going to post on our podcast page at AFR.net on AFA at the course uh, at the course podcast page on AFR.net. So you can go click on. It. I want to encourage you to read it because you know I think it, a lot of this did get lost in the discussions and in the, the negotiations last week. A lot of these good reforms got lost in the noise. So if you don't know what happened last week and the positive that was was uh, put in place, the positive change that was put in place, we're going to link to this on our podcast page at AFA, AFR.net. Just go over at the core podcast at AFR.net. The headline is McCarthy's Concessions to Freedom Caucus and What They Mean. So we'll, uh, we've already posted that over at AFR.net. At the core, we got a Patty Garibay coming up in the next segment, by the way. Hey, if you want to watch the show, you can do so, streaming.afa.net. We're live, streaming.afa.net. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus' fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, They want him dead, too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we're slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising God the Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. When a teenage girl flippantly retorts through tears, who cares? Have you considered there's something deeper going on in those two words? Rather than asserting that she doesn't care, what if she's crying out because she thinks no one cares? The last few years revealed a frightful mental health epidemic in our country, especially among young people. With a 2021 report of a 51% increase in attempted suicide among adolescent girls, the issue of mental health no longer patiently sits at the back of the line. But how can we help? Remind your girl that someone does care. You care. Your community cares. And God cares. He cares so much that he gave his son Jesus himself to rescue her from a life void of purpose. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Ever wanted to take a tour of somewhere you've always desired to see? But you didn't want to work at putting the whole thing together? Well, guess what? Problem solved. If you've been wanting to go to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., but you don't want to have to map out everything and plan everything, we've got it all solved for you. Our spiritual heritage tours, all you got to do is show up and get on the bus and have a smile on your face. That's all you got to do. And the rest is taken care of. In June and September, we'll see our nation's capital together. Believers and listeners from all over the country. The website for the dates, the cost, and everything you need to know about these two trips in June and September is spiritualheritagetours.com. Spiritualheritagetours.com. We also go to Colonial Williamsburg and Jamestown in September. Spiritualheritagetours.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to have you back on the program. I'm Walker Wildman. I'm your host for the Core today. Um, I do want to remind you that you can watch the Core live on our streaming platform, streaming.com. Uh, afa.net we're also on facebook at the core is on facebook live streaming the um the video there so we offer it uh multiple places by the way our marriage family life conference registration is already open our um um, our marriage family life conference in july early july is already open so just go over to marriagefamilylife.net marriagefamilylife.net Go ahead and register. Use the discount code that's listed there on the site. Go ahead and register for yourself and your family to come to our conference. And speaking of our conference, we actually had a very special guest at our conference this past year. Patty Garibay with American Heritage Girls was there at the Marriage Family Life Conference, and she's also here on the core. Welcome back, Patty. Thanks for having me, Walker. It's good to be with you. Well, Patty, uh, you and I discuss various topics when we have you on the core, but one of the focuses that you're uh, working on over at American Heritage Girls, and one thing you guys have done for a long time now, is put together these various ebooks on raising godly girls, and then you go off and, and sometimes you'll delve into a specific topic that young girls and, and parents and moms are working with with their, their, their daughters. And, and one of the topics that you that you broach that you talk about 
is the topic of transgenderism or gender identity. Um, give us a backgrounder as far as is this a struggle uh, that young girls, that teenagers, teenage girls are dealing with in America? It is not only a struggle, but it is prolific, unfortunately. Uh, many have compared this to a social contagion, um, the, the kind of ideology around, well, my friend is doing this, so it, it must mean that I need to do that. And that's very much how girls, unfortunately, operate in many ways. Uh, the social contagion is very effective for them. And I believe that that's what's happening with this transgenderism. There's been a lot of online grooming that's been going on, um, especially during the COVID epidemic, um, pandemic, when, when all of that happened. And what we have found is a, a surge in loneliness, suicide, and also in this transgenderism. So when you're unhappy, you're thinking, okay, why am I unhappy? Well, it must be because of the A, B, C, or D. And sometimes it becomes this, well, maybe I'm in the wrong body. God has given me the wrong gender. And perhaps I need to explore that because that will be how I find my happiness. So it is part of what has happened from the fallout from COVID and the isolation. And also, honestly, Walker, because we have a godless society now and we don't have prayer in the schools, we don't have God in the schools, and this is all affecting our kiddos. Yeah, and, um, you know, this is one of our core values here at American Family Association is marriage and family. And from that, um, you, 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 you jump into all kinds of topics as a parent, as a dad here, you, um, you know, parenting covers a plethora of, of topics that are all also covered in scripture. And that's what, why it's so, so important to have a biblical worldview. But, uh, Patty, there, there's all kinds of influences on our young people, influences on our children, but the role of mom and dad, the role of parents in the home um, that is the most critical role as far as influencing our young people, influencing our children, raising them up, giving them the tools and the information needed to succeed in life from a biblical perspective. So talk a little about a little bit about that and how, you know, good parenting can go a long way in the lives of our children. It really can, and that's what I love what you guys stand for. American Family Association is totally dedicated into building up the family. And, you know, being good parents doesn't just happen. We aren't born with the DNA to be good parents. It's intentional. We have to be proactive. We have to, of course, be very familiar with the Word of God that gives us all of the instructions on how to raise our kids if we look for them, and also to be aligned with Christ-centered organizations and um, influences that will help us navigate this confusing time and this confusing world. You know, it's such a confusing time, Walker, that I think about this This British theologian wrote, um, his name's Theo Hobson. He wrote, what was condemned must be celebrated. Now, this is what's happening today. What mm. was celebrated must now be condemned, i.e. family, marriage, all the things you guys stand for. And those who will not join in this celebration will be condemned. Now, we have to understand that our kids are going to be condemned for sharing our Christian beliefs, but we need to armor them. And the only way we can armor someone is to be prepared. If you're not prepared, you can't bring the armor. And so this is really critical for us to understand that as parents, we need to get in front of these topics. We don't want someone else influencing our kids on these topics. We want to talk about it first because what is first is what is really lays the foundation and so let's let's look at this ebook. Let's download this ebook from AmericanHeritageGirls.org and download that 
ebook that's Raising Godly Girls Guide to Gender and Identity. It will help you to have that important discussion with your daughter, not to freak out if she comes to you and says, you know, I'm thinking I might be a boy because her friend has said that she might be a boy. That social contagion issue. But be prepared and be ready. And first of all, have a heart posture of prayerfulness that the Lord and the Holy Spirit will give you the words and the patience and the temperament to deal with this important topic. Absolutely, Patty. Hey, tell our tell our audience where they can go on the American Heritage Girl website and download this free ebook. Right. Visit AmericanHeritageGirls.org. You will see a pop-up block that comes right up just to help make it easy for you. You can download that ebook immediately. There's also another ebook called a Raising Godly Girls Guide to Fear and Anxiety. And our third one is coming out in a couple of months called a Raising Godly Girls Guide to Biblical Worldview. These are all issues that are so important to today's families and today's youth in particular. Amen. Hey, Patty, thanks for the work and uh, speaking truth into the lives of our young girls around the nation and even the, the moms around the nation that are helping to raise godly girls. Thanks so much for your work. And thank you, Walker, for all you do at AFA. God bless you all. Amen. Thanks, Patty. That's uh, Patty Garibay. She's the executive director over at American Heritage Girls. And as she mentioned, if you go to AmericanHeritageGirls.org, you can uh, download the free ebook right there on the website on the home page. It'll pop out on the right hand of your screen, and uh, you can get that ebook at your convenience. That's AmericanHeritageGirls.org. You know the 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 battle for really the battle for Western civilization really gets down to the the war against families. The war against God's design for marriage and family. I mean, think about some of the hot-button issues of our day. They revolve around uh, homosexuality, transgenderism. Um, they also are, uh, revolve around uh, the the discussion about, you know, how much authority do parents have over the lives of their children? Should children be able to um, make their own in, quote unquote independent decisions, even though these decisions are being driven by somebody. The question is, who uh, should children be able to basically go go rogue and go off script and 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 bypass the the authority of their parents? So th- these are topics that are all in discussion, but many of them boil down to get down to the the undermining of marriage and family. And I've got this story just to just to tile this together. I've got this story over in Seattle, pretty fascinating story, and a lawsuit. But listen to this: there's a there's a public school district over in Seattle, Washington, that is suing major tech platforms over what they call a mental health crisis. Reading just a couple sentences into this headline. Uh, The public school district in the U.S. city of Seattle has filed a lawsuit against big tech companies for allegedly causing mental harm, depression, and anxiety among students. The complaint, which was filed on Friday, targets meta-owned Facebook and Instagram, but also Google, Snapchat, YouTube, as well as Chinese-owned TikTok. Public school officials said they are, quote, holding social media companies accountable for the harm they have wreaked on social, emotional, and mental health of students. 
The increase in suicides, attempted suicides, and mental health-related emergency room visits is no coincidence. So they're basically blaming these big tech platforms for the mental health crisis uh, amongst our young people. So this is a school district in Seattle. Very fascinating. Um, I don't think that the lawsuit will actually succeed. But here's what I thought when I read that. And it's probably not what you're thinking. So, so if we're placing responsibility, our, our, our child's mental health, the responsibility for our child's mental health on a company 2,000 miles away, 1,000 miles away, 500 miles away, wherever you live, in Silicon Valley, then how much more responsibility do we have in the room next to us? So, so this is this is what I've been getting at recently. We've got to take ownership, folks. And, and I'm not defending the big tech com- companies. D- don't get me wrong. They 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 definitely engage and use their platforms. The the whole point of their platforms is to make users addicted to their platforms. So so I'm not naive to that. I mean, watch the documentary. It's actually a Netflix documentary, ironically enough. Um, there, it's, it's, uh, I'll, I'll look it up. I think it's called like Big Social. Or no, it's called The Social Dilemma. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's a Netflix documentary, and it's fascinating. But it goes into uh, all the, the, the avenues and the tools that these companies use to make users addicted to their platforms. And whether it's Apple or whether it's Android or whether it's the, the app companies, these, these companies, they engineer their devices and their, their, their products so that people are hooked on it like a drug. And so I'm not naive to that, but, but, but we've got to, if we think that the biggest problem in our world, the biggest problem in our family, our community, and our home is Facebook, boy, do we have it wrong. Because at the end of the day, where are the parents saying, you know what, son? You're 13 years old. You don't need Facebook, and you're not doing Facebook. Like, why is that not on the table? And where where are the parents? And I, I, I know I'm speaking broadly, and there are these parents out there that I'm talking about, but we need more of them. Why does a 12-year-old girl need TikTok? Well, she doesn't need TikTok, but either the parents have allowed TikTok or the parents aren't there or the parents are oblivious. And so I'm all about placing blame where blame is due, placing responsibility where responsibility lies. But this school district is blaming companies that create mobile platforms for the mental health crisis in America. You talk about not being over the target. This school district is not over the target. And I know people probably disagree with me, and they can probably pull out all the stats about how big and bad YouTube is and how big and bad TikTok is. And I probably cited those, cited those stats here on the program. 
But but at the end of the day, folks, we have to get down to the core, which is the whole name of the show here, get to the core and the root of the issues of our day. And at the at the core of the problems that we face in America is not these platforms. It is the fact that we as a society have have thumbed our nose at God. We've literally booed God, one of the national parties, the Democrats, under Obama, when God was mentioned at their convention, they booed him. And we can't bring God into our schools, right? Because separation of church and state, even though that's a hoax. That's a complete hoax. So we can't bring God in our schools. We we can't preach and teach morality and that a God exists and he cares for you and he wants the best for you. And here's his blueprint for life and happiness. We can't do any of that, right? Because that is a, that is a, a sectarianism. That is a teaching a, a religion in our public schools, in our society. So we reject God. We reject his precepts. We reject his natural order. We say that men can be women, women can be men. And we produce explicit content, inappropriate educate, uh, entertainment content with profanity and violence and nudity and all kinds of other explicit content. We do that in Hollywood. We produce it for the masses. We, we, we belittle people who have big families. We make them feel ostracized like it's an odd thing to do to have a bunch of kids. We, we encourage people to be selfish, you know, focus on yourself, right? That's what we hear all the time. And all the while, we think that the schools are the problem or Facebook's the problem or TikTok's the problem. If we want to be real with ourselves, the reality is we're the problem. Sin is the problem. The rejection of God is the problem. And if you have enough people that wake up to that, enough people that turn their lives to God, turn their lives over to Christ, have their heart and their mind renewed, Facebook and YouTube will be a thing of the past when it comes to being a part of the mental and emotional health crisis. Folks, we got to get down to our identity. What are we here for? Are we here to get TikTok views? Are we here to get YouTube views? No, folks, we're here to honor God. And we're here to serve Him with our lives and obey Him with everything that we do. That's what we're here for. we got to get to it. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, President of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. When you hear this, 
This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net. And sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. On American Family Radio, hi, I'm Barry McGuire. I'm a layman here to remind you that face sharing is a barometer for your spiritual health. Jesus told us everything depends on our loving Him and loving our neighbors as ourselves, being as concerned for their redemption as for our own, and knowing that this is the one thing that changes everything. He added his promise of Romans 8.28 to make everything in your life work together for good when you do that. In these 60 seconds we have here, I can tell you how to do all the things you're supposed to do automatically, like living a righteous life, studying his word, and praying without ceasing. You see, when your priority is to lead everyone under your influence closer to God, living rightly and being in the word and on your knees every day is automatic and it's so easy and so much fun your job is to ignite revival outside the walls of your church by moving everyone every day closer to jesus if you need help sharing your faith go to igniteamerica.com afa at the core podcast are available at afr.net back to afa at the core on american family radio Welcome back to At The Core here on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. I'm your host for the program. Well, um, if you enjoyed uh, the last segment and our breakdown of America's moral state and uh, what can be done to fix it, then go back and listen. If you missed part of that, go back to our podcast. Uh, Wherever you listen to podcasts, just type in At The Core and you'll find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. But that's a very fascinating lawsuit. I'm, I'm not sure that's been done, at least to this degree. So we'll see where that goes. But, you know, we've got uh, varying layers of influence on our young people. And probably the farthest w- away is these platforms. I mean, you've got, you know, parents uh, at the first layer. You've got the influence of parents, the influence of uh, church members, community members, teachers, coaches, other influencers in our young people's lives. Um, so you got all these different layers of influence, and um, these uh, platforms are probably the furthest layer out uh, as far as influencing our children, although their influence is very powerful, very powerful, very popular platforms. So we'll see where that goes. 
um, but had to make a point on that. I do want to introduce our next guest, Dr. Charles uh, Blahouse. He's a senior research strategist over at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Uh, Dr. Blahouse, thanks so much for coming on AFA at the Corp. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, we've uh, discussed this topic of Medicaid before and the uh, attempted Medicaid expansion. And, you know, you, you we talk about it, and sometimes I see people's eyes glazing over. But it actually, for anyone who cares about fiscal responsibility from a government standpoint, anybody who cares about bloated bureaucracy, the expansion of the welfare state, anybody who cares about our national debt and the disasters of Obamacare should care about this. I mean, Medicaid expansion is the fight of our day as it relates to bloated government and, and over spending as it relates to welfare. So, uh, Dr. Blahouse, go ahead and introduce this topic. Tell us why it's important. Well, thank you so much. And I know exactly what you mean when it comes to people's eyes glazing over. I'm I'm not sure that there is a program in the federal budget that's more confusing than Medicaid, uh, because Medicaid is a joint federal-state program where uh, the states basically uh, make the decisions about whom to enroll in this health insurance program that's mostly for the poor, uh, but most of the budgeting for it is done at the federal level. And, of course, the federal government writes the laws that determines what the states can do. And as you pointed out in your introductory remarks, uh, Medicaid costs are growing far faster than we can afford. They're growing far faster than our national out- uh, economic output. Uh, and that is a big problem for the federal budget and a big problem for federal taxpayers. Now, our particular study dealt with a different uh, problem that arose under Medicaid expansion, which we discovered over the course of the last year, which is that in the drive to increase enrollment in Medicaid, uh, the drive to expand Medicaid, we found that in states that expanded Medicaid, uh, they began to ratchet back the share of their program's resources uh, that was going to uh, health benefits for low-income children. So basically, as a consequence, uh, or at least associated with this uh, dramatic rise in Medicaid enrollment, uh, there's been uh, a huge increase in the number of people competing for access to Medicaid services. And we wanted to know uh, who was losing out in that competition. And the answer is uh, has turned out to be, unfortunately, uh, low-income children. So, uh, you know, obviously, the authors of the Affordable Care Act weren't uh, deliberately trying to shortchange children, uh, but it is yet another case of uh, uh, unintended consequences of federal programs and good intentions gone awry. Here we had a very substantial expansion of a federal program, and the consequence seems to have been uh, fewer health benefits for low-income children. So, so Charles, let me let me ask you this because this is the case with virtually any federal program, especially one that revolves around money. And what federal program doesn't have money tied up? Virtually none, very few. But expanding Medicaid, making Medicaid available to more people, more Americans, is obviously going to cost an arm and a leg, not literally, but metaphorically. Is it? Can you? Can this ever be reeled back? I mean, this is a a, a welfare benefit type program uh, that is going to cost a lot of money uh, for the taxpayers. Can this ever be pulled back, rolled back? Well, it's it's tough. And and I will say, um, 
it's discouraging if you, if you do care about the federal budget and if you do care about the growing uh, burden on taxpayers. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that the costs of the program were already out of control even before the Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare. Uh, it was already rising at, a, at an unsustainable rate even then. And obviously, the Affordable Care Act uh, accelerated and, and worsened that problem. Uh, but, but some context here, I, I think, is, is uh, perhaps worthwhile. Uh, before the Affordable Care Act, historically, Medicaid was there uh, for um, mostly for people who were below the poverty line, not exclusively, but mostly. And uh, the beneficiaries included people like low-income children, poor children, poor pregnant women, parents, caretakers, uh, the disabled, poor aged. Uh, but what happened with the Affordable Care Act is that they wanted to dramatically expand the program to cover childless adults, not disabled adults, not aged adults, but childless adults uh, above the poverty line. And uh, originally, they tried to make it mandatory. They tried to mandate that they do it, but the Supreme Court stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. It's got to be voluntary. And, and so basically, the way the law is uh, voluntary to states, rather. Um, so basically, the way the law works is that, um, getting back to your point about the rising costs of the program, historically, the federal government was paying about 57 percent of the costs of these health insurance benefits. But in order to uh, tempt states to expand Medicaid as aggressively as the authors of the law wanted them to, uh, they decided to pay a much, much higher federal reimbursement rate where they're picking up 90 percent of the costs. And this apparently has really distorted incentives at the state level and could be one of the reasons why we're seeing this shift of program resources away from beneficiaries like low-income children, poor children, poor pregnant women, towards uh, these non-disabled, childless, non-aged adults who are the focus of expansion, because that's where the dollars are going, and, and that seems to be uh, inducing uh, a, a real allocation of health benefits at the state level. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and I do want to get back to your main point here about the resources shifting away from low-income children uh, uh, you just mentioned one of the reasons, but w- what are some other reasons? I mean, you you, you note how uh, the writers of the Affordable Care Act probably didn't sit around going, how can we pull, you know, Medicaid resources away from low-income children? But the, the right. recent study that you put out along with one of your colleagues, that is ultimately the end result here, when, no matter the motives or the intent. Uh, what are some other reasons that we are where we are as far as, uh, resources being shifted away from low-income children. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a stunning phenomenon, and it's very concerning. Um, and, and just to give you a, a sense of the magnitude of what we're talking about here, as as I'm sure you know, and I know your listeners uh, know as well, uh, health care costs tend to rise pretty fast, right? Health care spending rises, health care costs rise. Uh, that's the norm uh, in in America, at least it has been for the last several decades. And uh, so by way of example, uh, health care spending per person in the United States as of 2019 was 27% higher than it was just six years before in 2013. And that's typical. Now, in states that didn't expand Medicaid, they basically, um, you know, Medicaid uh, spending on children continued to grow at roughly that rate. It went up about 23% over the six years. But what happened in the states that expanded is that uh, as they brought all these new people onto the rolls, they started ratcheting back uh, their spending on children. 
to the point where their total per child spending in 2019 was only 5.9% higher than it was in 2013. Now, think of what that means. That means it was growing less than 1% a year. That's not even as fast as price inflation. That's well below typical price inflation. So in real terms, these states are actually spending less on health benefits for children than they were six years before. So it's a very dramatic shift away from low-income children. Now, why is it happening? The honest answer is we do not know. Okay, We do not know. Now, there have been a lot of speculative um, explanations offered, but they're just speculative at this stage. It, it could be uh, a phenomenon that is as invisible and, um, you know, as, as uh, I wouldn't say innocuous because it's not innocuous, but it's, it's not uh, deliberate. Uh, it is inadvertent. Maybe that's the best word. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, health benefit spending for children is pediatric care, preventive care, wellness checkups, you know, milestone appointments and the like. And it could just be a simple process that's going on where if you're aged or you're disabled and you have an urgent need, an emergency need, you can still get to the front of that pipeline. But if you're a low-income child and there's this greater competition for access to care, it could be that the appointment the mother's trying to get for next week doesn't happen until the following week, right? I mean, it's sort of an invisible process of delaying uh, the delivery of care to low-income children. And uh, on the surface, it, it might not look terribly sinister, but it adds up uh, to children getting a lot less care in the end. Yeah, and I think the, the, the lesson of this, at a minimum, just like you said, keeping it very surface level, the lesson is when you have a and correct me if I'm wrong, but the lesson I'm getting just listening to you talk is when you have a program that's targeted towards a group of people for a reason and is and is successfully meeting a need, I'm talking broadly here, then it's best not to meddle with that program or open that program up to millions more people being out, added to it. I mean, am I on the right track here? Yeah, you're on the right track, definitely. I mean, I mean, again, I'll try to simplify, and this is a hard program to simplify. But look, you you have a say right now, 22 percent of the of the people under the age of 65 who are on Medicaid were put there by the Affordable Care Act. So just imagine this 22 percent increase in Medicaid enrollment. Now there hasn't been a commensurate increase in the supplier of uh, the supply of healthcare services. Uh, about 74 percent of physicians take Medicaid. That's about what it was before the Affordable Care Act. So here you've got a, a, a much greater demand for services chasing a limited supply, right? And so this is a classic example of politicians promising things that make for good press releases. Oh, look, we added all these people to Medicaid. Uh, look what we did. We expanded health insurance coverage. Isn't that wonderful? But it doesn't translate into an increase in the care available. And so when you do that, when you add 22%, you have a 22% increase in the enrollment, but you don't have a, an increase, a similar increase in the supply of services, somebody has to lose out. Yeah. And, and that's something that federal policymakers need to take into account. Absolutely. Hey, uh, uh, Dr. Blahouse, thanks so much for coming on the core, and I appreciate your research and your study here and uh, enlightening our listeners on this topic of Medicaid expansion. Thanks so much for your contributions. Thank you. All right. Appreciate that. That's Dr. Charles Blahouse. He's over at the George Mason University. He's a senior research strategist there at the George Mason University. Excellent, interesting topic there. And I actually do have his full research paper that he and one of his colleagues conducted 
um, on how Medicaid expansion under Obamacare is actually negatively affecting uh, young children in uh, from low-income families, mainly because of the resource shift and the expansion of it. And, um, you know, his point about increasing Medicaid enrollment by 22% through Obamacare, and but, of course, the politicians aren't factoring in the private sector and whether is there, is there space for a 22% increase on the supply side? Well, the answer is no, there's not, but we've got to make it. Um, this, is where, this is where there's a major divide in America, and other, other Western nations are dealing with this as well, this, this debate. But, you know, you, you can do press releases, as the doctor said. You can, you can have all the right talking points. You can even have all the, these great ideas on paper about how we need to make, you know, health insurance or health care. And, by the way, those are completely two different things. We need to make it available to everyone. That's what they say. We need to make... We need to make health care uh, widely available. We need to make health insurance widely available. Nobody should be turned out. That's what they say. And that all sounds good. And, and yes, we do have a moral imperative as humans who are created in the image of God. We do have a moral imperative to do our best to care for people in need, in physical need, in health need. But we're talking government role here, right, folks? We're talking the role of government. And they, they, they talk about expanding this, expanding that. And by the way, who's going to raise their hand and go, no, we don't need to expand that? No, no, no. They all tug at the heart. It's an emotional argument. It's an emotional debate. But, folks, we can't sacrifice quality, and that's the problem here, is the government is not thinking, how do we get the best quality care to the most people? They're not thinking like that. They're thinking about, how can we just rush through this legislation, say we did it, say we added this more many people to Medicaid, without focusing on ensuring that quality remains, that quality exists. That's why many of these issues need to be left to the private sector. Let the private sector figure this out. Where there is demand, there will be supply if you let the private sector take care of this issue. At the core of thanks for joining us. We'll be back. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.